and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, colon, and they shall be one flesh. One flesh. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 31, in the New Testament, the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, he repeats this principle again. He says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Something happens uh, when this wedding covenant is established and the two people become one flesh. But look at the next verse, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So just like in the ceremony uh, of a wedding, when a man and a woman join together in matrimony, spiritually these two become one flesh. The Bible is teaching that Jesus Christ and his church are one flesh. Amen. And then in Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 38. Luke chapter 6 and uh, verse number 38. A very well known verse of scripture. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again. Amen. This beautiful passage of scripture oftentimes is used in reference to giving financially. But if you look at the context, it's not just monetary giving that it's talking about here. It's talking about when you give love, when you give forgiveness that is going to come back to you. Whatever measure you give forgiveness, that's the kind of forgiveness that comes back to you when you need it. And you're going to need it sometime. Amen. Uh, but also, uh, the same way that you uh, measure out anger, the same way that you measure out criticism, it's coming back to you in the same measure that you put it out. Amen. And so the principle in Scripture here is something is activated when you give. Something is activated when you give. And the Bible says it's coming back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. All the air is taken out so that there's everything that's in the basket is complete. That it comes back to you again. And for the next few moments today, with God's help, I want to share with you uh, this principle on first love is what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your word because it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and uh, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We thank you for your word. And we pray today that over the next few moments, Lord God, you would move in this place, you would speak to us, and you would grant us insight 
and revelation. Lord Jesus, I know that when people are, are given understanding, they're able to tap into great things that are wrapped up uh, sometimes in mystery, sometimes in a lack of knowledge. But when they understand, then they tap into it. And we pray today that this would happen in this place. And we promise to give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. And if you're thankful for what the Lord has given to you, put your hands together and praise Him right now before you're seated. You may be seated. When, when a, a couple gets married, there is an adjustment period. They've already had the wedding and uh, maybe come back from the honeymoon. And it's been a, a, a wonderful time. And everybody's celebrated and they've been celebrating. And uh, then they get back to the real world, move into the apartment that they have or uh, the house that they have. And... Uh, then comes the real adjustment and work of marriage because, as the Bible says, and as you know in, in any real good marriage, that two people now become one flesh. And where you had two different identities and two different uh, sets of visions and goals and objectives and two different uh, uh, sets of priorities and, and, and two different uh, even uh, the, the finances and uh, all of this comes together two into one. And I remember uh, when I first married my wife that uh, we had some moments where I had to learn some lessons about me not being my own anymore and belonging to her and her belonging to me. One of those in particular that I'll share that's going to make me look bad and I'm going to look terrible before I leave here today. I promise you that. Uh, is when uh, my wife and I were first married and we got back from our honeymoon, we arrived back in my hometown, which is where we lived after we were married, and uh, moved into our little house that we were renting. And it was exciting, um, you know, putting the three pieces of furniture that we had in there and uh, getting all set up. Uh, and the first Sunday, as a married couple, after our honeymoon, we were going to go to the church that I had grown up in for the last number of years. And it was her first Sunday to come there as a saint, her first Sunday at this church. And so on Sunday morning, uh, we were getting ready. And for, at that point, 27 years of my life, I had always uh, been able to do what I wanted to do when I needed to do it. And uh, wasn't used to having somebody else to be concerned with or look out for. And uh, so we were getting ready for church. And uh, finally I uh, told my wife as I looked at my watch, uh, man, I'm getting nervous. I don't want to be late. And uh, finally I said, uh, I'm heading on to church. I'll see you when you get there. And so I went out and I jumped in my car. I didn't leave her without a car. She had a car, okay, and keys and all that. But I jumped in the car and I drove to church. And thought everything was great. I mean, I didn't know I had done anything wrong. Uh, and found out later. How, how many when you first... No, don't raise your hand. But when you first got married, you did some things wrong. And you didn't even realize it. And you kind of had to figure it out a little bit later. You're judging from the mood. Something's not right. And you say, um, uh, how are you doing? I'm fine. And you know, that, does, that doesn't mean that she's fine. That, that means uh, that you better do a little more research and find out what the problem was. So... Uh, and she said, it's my first Sunday at that church. I have to walk in by myself. Number two, I don't even know how to get there. 
And uh, so it was like, okay. So I had to make some adjustment in realizing that now we too are one flesh. And I can't make decisions or take steps or actions without considering the implications of the other part of my one flesh, also known as my better half. Now, one of the things that uh, um, really is a problem to me and I see in our culture today is the idea of a prenuptial agreement. A prenuptial agreement, which is on the rise in our culture, and you can imagine why, because over half of the marriages, uh, the covenants of marriage that are established end up ending in divorce. And a prenuptial agreement basically is planning your divorce at the same time you're planning your wedding. Uh, in case of divorce, this is what we're going to do now. And we're not going to get divorced, but just in case, this is what we're going to do. And obviously, this shows a problem in the mindset and the way of thinking, uh, determining the division of assets in the event of a divorce. Uh, and, and I can see why someone would do this, someone coming into a marriage with significant assets, wanting to make sure that they're being married uh, uh, on the basis of who they are as opposed to for their finances. Some people marry just for money. However, this idea of a prenuptial Agreement undermines the basic concept of covenant. A covenant says we are coming together from here on out, or as the marriage uh, commitments say, until death do us part. And uh, in the marriage covenant, two are becoming one. We shared last week how the principle of the covenant was these two, whether it's families or tribes or now it's a husband and a wife, two become one flesh and there is complete oneness. And a prenuptial agreement says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. But marriage says what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And any marriage that's not built on this principle is bound to fail. Because there has to be a oneness that happens in marriage. And uh, when, when we go to a wedding, it's always beautiful. Everybody's talking about uh, the, the wedding dress and uh, what the attendants were wearing and uh, all, all the things that uh, this person looked good, this person be looking old and all that. We're just talking about everybody. And, uh, and, and the wedding ceremony is really significant and, and exciting. But the wedding is about the sacred ceremony. All the pomp and show and all of that is about those few minutes where they make covenant, commitment vows to one another. That these two become one flesh. And the power of covenant means that now I'm committed to this person wholeheartedly and completely. And now this person is committed to me wholeheartedly and completely. And the principle that we're teaching in the first love series is the idea that we've got to return to that level and type of commitment to God. To where we understand that everything I have is His. And everything that he has is available to me. Whatever I bind in earth is going to be bound in heaven. And whatever I loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Last week we talked about how Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And how Jesus asked the rich young ruler to sell out and to follow him. We also talked about the pearl of great price that they sold out so that they could purchase. We talked about the treasure that was hidden in the field. And the man that said, I want that treasure. So I'm going to sell everything so I can get that field because I know the value of what's in there. All of these things indicate that following Jesus 
And entering into covenant with Jesus Christ requires an understanding. You guys with me? It'll be frustrating if you don't get this. The understanding is what's mine is his and he is Lord. All right? What's mine is his and he is Lord. Complete Lord of my life and of everything that I am. So what's mine is his. So what do I have? You may say, well, he can have everything I got because I ain't got nothing. But we all have something. The first thing you have is what we talked about a couple weeks ago is our time. Our time. And we're protective of our time as, as we should be because there are time robbers in the world. But we must understand this principle first of all. That my time is not my own because I'm bought with a price. And so my time belongs to him as well. Praise the Lord. What about your talent, your abilities, your skills? That belongs to the Lord as well. It's not mine anymore. I'm in covenant with him. What's mine is his. And finally, even the treasure that we have doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And understanding this principle, understanding the idea of being in covenant with him, and the great power that comes as a result of that is a key to living a victorious life in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share some more verses with you in just a moment. But before I do, I need to do something here. And... uh, I want to open myself up to you and share uh, about a personal weakness or a personal failure uh, that has affected this church. I've been here for 10 years, 12 years almost. I'm sorry, 12 years now. And uh, I'm a little embarrassed and a little ashamed to share with you this personal weakness, shortcoming, failure that I have that has negatively affected the church. And uh, I know sometimes as leaders we want to highlight our strengths and what we've done right. Uh, But uh, I feel today prompted by the Spirit, prompted by God to open up to you and confess that I've messed up. And uh, I want to confess and ask your forgiveness. Um, uh, I guess the good news is is when you look at the, the men in the Bible that were great leaders... These men had failures and uh, imperfections, but God redeemed them despite their weaknesses and their mistakes and used them. Um, in, In the Old Testament, Abraham lied about his wife. Jacob did the same thing. Moses was a murderer. David committed adultery and cover up and murder. And, uh, my fault or personal failure or weakness has negatively affected this church, the church that I have been called to lead, to protect, and to shepherd. And this is God's church. And uh, to kind of break it down to you, I just, I'll start by telling the story of when I was a, a young man uh, teaching school from public school system from 1997 to 1999. 
the first year as a school teacher, public school teacher coming out of college. Um, I didn't realize this about myself. It's something looking back later. I had this desire to be uh, the most liked teacher in the school by the kids. I wanted to be the teacher that was cool and uh, popular. I didn't even really come in like thinking, oh, I want to be the cool teacher. But I wanted the kids to like me. I wanted the students that I taught to really like me. And um, even though I didn't state that as a goal and I didn't even know that was a goal, necessarily I accomplished that goal. In uh, my first year as a teacher, the kids liked me. Uh, but there was a tremendous lack of discipline in the classroom, and I completely lost control. Out of the five one-hour classes that I taught, two of them I completely lost control of. And uh, toward the uh, middle and end of that year, I was very frustrated, angry, and felt helpless uh, because the children had complete control. The eighth graders had complete control in the classroom. And uh, the saddest part about it is the part that bugged me the most is um, that I wasn't effective at my passion. My passion is to teach. I love to help people understand things and and for them to grow and for their uh, mindset to expand. And uh, during that year, I almost quit. I came close to quitting several times, even going so far as to write out a statement to the principal and never turn it in because I was frustrated. And here's what I learned about myself. Here's what I've learned about myself. My need to be liked by everyone has negatively affected those that I've been charged to lead. My need to be liked by everyone. So my, my personal weakness and failure isn't that of Abraham or Moses or, or David. Some of you were nervous when I started this. Did he mess up? It's not David's weakness or failure, but it's very real. And the part that bothers me is it's more like King Saul. King Saul was overly concerned with the opinions of his people. He said, Saul said unto Samuel, I hope I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul's greatest weakness is he wanted to look good to the people and to be liked by the people. And so I, I don't want to make this about me. It's just a few minutes, something I've got to share with you that if it's just my personality or my background, I've got somewhat of an approval addiction uh, that, that I've got to be liked. But the problem is, here's the problem. And, and the good news is my second year of teaching when I came back, I decided I wasn't going to be the most popular teacher in school. I was going to be the meanest teacher in school. And so I became the teacher who sent two kids to the office on the very first day of school. Very first day of school for looking at each other in, in their seats. Seriously, from, from where last year, the year before, kids were throwing things, getting in fist fights, doing all kinds of things in the classroom, hollering out curse words, this and that. And the first day... And I remember halfway through the year, one of the kids whose sister was in my class the year before, they said, Mr. Brown, what happened to you? My sister said, you were the coolest teacher in the school. You're not a cool teacher anymore. Amen. But you know what? I got some teaching done that year. I got a lot of teaching done that year because I quit worrying about whether 
the kids liked me and I did what I believed was the right thing to do. Because God has convicted me. God's convicted me and he's been working on me. And I'm going through a metamorphosis to repent and reroute my thinking. Because truth is more important than approval. So with that, as of today, I don't care what you think of me. I'm committed to do what God asks. And, and I, don't, I don't want to see the people that I'm pastoring struggling because I'm not willing to tell them the truth because it might offend them. I want to tell you the truth. And if you've got a good spirit and you're willing to receive it, then correction and change and blessing can come into your life. If you've got a bad spirit and you want to leave, there's a lot of other churches in town, but I don't care what you think about me. Amen. And, and especially when I see people that I pastor struggling to make it week to week, not being promoted, not excelling. And the Bible says they're going to be blessed. And, uh, and, and, and the Lord's made it clear to me that it's, it's not their fault, it's my fault. Because people are destroyed through a lack of knowledge. And if I'm, if I'm unwilling to tell you what the Bible has to say about it because I don't want to offend you, then you're stuck in a rut that you can't get out of. Without truth. And I've come to tell you truth today. Amen. Praise God. You're the people of God. You've been baptized in his name. You've entered into covenant with him. And if you're ignorant of how this works. It's my responsibility to tell you. I'm a little different. I was raised in a household. Uh, From the time I was a little child. I learned the principles and the doctrines of Christ. And uh, the principles of obedience and commitment and faithfulness, and tithing and all of these things. And, uh, but I understand that many of you were not raised in that same environment. It's my responsibility now to, to, in a sense, get in your face and say, hey, listen, God wants to bless you, but he can't bless you unless you obey him. God wants to favor your life, but you've got to understand this. And if you don't understand it, it's not your fault, it's my fault. Because I've got to bring you to that place of understanding. And some people are not blessed. Some people are living with their finances under a curse. And it's my fault. Amen. And so today I've got to get that fault off of me. I've got to get that taken care of. And I know that I've been uncomfortable talking about uh, the powerful life-changing principle of giving in the past. Uh, because... It's just my nature. I'm the kind of person I'd rather work all day and do it myself than ask somebody to help me. Because I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to uh, offend anybody. I don't want to. But guess what? The Lord said, this ain't about you. It's about the people I put you to shepherd. It's not about whether they like you or not. That's focus on yourself, buddy. You need to focus on them and get them to where they need to go. Amen. So if you need to repent, I need to tell you to repent. If you need to make it right, if you need to straighten something out with somebody else, I need to tell you to straighten it out with them. Amen. If you need to walk right and like we used to say, spit white, amen, then I need to be the one that tells you that. Praise God. So guess what? I don't care what you think about me. I've got to tell you the truth because I'm trying to get you to heaven. Trying to make sure that you're saved. I'm trying to get these kids to heaven right here. 
We're not putting on a program to impress them. We're trying to get, we're trying to get those kids in life kids to heaven. So we've got to speak truth. So maybe it's part of getting older. Maybe it's part of having kids. I don't care if you don't like me. I can make my own people. You know what I'm saying? But, but I don't care anymore. I want truth to come forth from this pulpit. I want God's people to be blessed. And I'm not going to be worried about sharing with you about the principle. And I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been uncomfortable about talking about this. And I promise that I won't be in the future. Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah was asked to speak for God. And God said, fear not their faces. Just say what I told you to say. Fear not their faces. So I'm going to speak truth. And you may not like it. You may think badly of me. You might want to go elsewhere. But the reality is I'm going to speak truth. God says, quit worrying about that. It's not about you anyway. So with that being said, I want to read a verse that's really bugged me always. And maybe it'll bug you too. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a few verses there. The prophet Elijah in the northern kingdom of Israel was working for God, speaking for God. And famine came to the land because he had spoken and it wouldn't rain. And so God posted him up by the brook Cherith and sent ravens to feed him. So ravens are coming by and feeding this guy and he's surviving thereby. And finally, he's working for God, doing God's stuff, and the brook dries up. And what does God do then? Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Um, I don't know about you, but if I'm working for God... And I've spoken and it's not raining and God says, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to go join yourself to a a widow woman. Back then, women tended not to work, tended not to own property. So they were in a bad way. I want you to go join yourself to the widow woman there to sustain me. So he, he says, okay, God, he walks up to this house, probably run down, probably in need of repair, probably very humble. And he shows up and he's like, He's probably thinking in the back of his mind, man, God, there's all these wealthy landowners in Israel and powerful, influential people that could take care of me during this famine. You want me to go to this widow lady? And then the next verse, number, verse number 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee. A little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her. He didn't want to ask her to her face. When she turned around and walked away, he's like, By the way, bring, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. I'm hungry. I need to survive. God sent me here. And so... You could tell. It was tough for him. He waited until she was walking away. And he's like, uh, Can you bring me some bread too? And then she turns around and says this, verse 12. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I promise you, I have not a cake. But I do have a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. That's all I got. That's all I got left. 
And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I might go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So probably Elijah at this point is like scratching his head and saying, God, you sent me here to be sustained by this woman and all she has is enough, enough meal and enough oil for one meal for her and her son. And she's like, I have nothing left. I'm getting ready to die. He's probably thinking, what in the world is going on here? And so here's where Elijah does something that me in my previous state of mind could never have done. What does he do? Verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Take care of God's business first. Take care of the man of God first. And bring it unto me, and after, make for thee and thy son. Man, when I read, I'm going to tell you, I hated this verse because I was reading it and I was like, what a jerk. Like, they're fixing to die. I mean, at least they can have one more stomach-feeling meal before they pass away. How could you do that, Elijah? How could you do that? See, here's the deal. It wasn't about Elijah. It was about her. God didn't send Elijah to the widow woman because he didn't have anywhere else to send him that had more provision. It was about for her. What was going to happen in her life. Look at the next verse. Verse, verse uh, uh, 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. The barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. Until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Something supernatural is going to happen. Something unexplainable is getting ready to take place. Uh, the, the pot in which your uh, flour is is not going to waste. It's going to be more every time you go back. Uh, and the oil is not going to go away. And look at the next verse, verse 15. Uh, verse number 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, made him a cake first, uh, then took care of her and her son. And she and he and her house uh, did eat for many days because a supernatural miracle took place. Somebody shout amen. amen. Verse, uh, so it seems rude and inconsiderate and presumptuous and obtuse for the prophet to say that. And I don't know if I could have said it if I was in his shoes. Especially when she said, uh, this is all I have. Probably what I would have done is, you know, she's walking away and I'm like, uh, can you bring me a piece of bread first on your way too?" And she said, well, I don't have any bread. I have just a little meal, enough for one more dinner with my kids. I'd probably like, I think I missed it. I probably didn't hear from God. Ma'am, take care of you and your kid. I'll get somebody else to help me and go and find. But here's the deal. You got to catch this. If he had done that, then chances are she and her little boy would have died. Because it wasn't about the prophet. It was about them. If they could in faith be obedient and give first. Then God could take and expand and multiply that which was left over. So that a supernatural miracle. See if you read the very next chapter. This little boy ends up dying. And just so happens that the prophet's at the house. 
sickness came and disease come up on his body and he died. And mama got a little upset. I took care of you and my babies died. He said, take him upstairs. He went in and prayed for him, laid over him and brought him down alive and breathing. Because the blessings of God are not just financial, but the blessings of God pervade over our entire life. But the principle to be learned here, amen, is that when God asks something of us, even if it doesn't make sense, it's not for his benefit. It's for your benefit. Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. The act of faith was this. Take care of God's business first. And God will stretch what you have left. And I'm telling you, as a pastor over the last 12 years, I have looked at tithe contributions and tithe checks from people that are struggling, single mothers in the church trying to raise their kids. Think of one mother in particular who never one time would she ever touch that tenth that belonged to the Lord. And she would put that tithe check in religiously. And I would think to myself, uh, I would think, man, I wish I could just give it back. And, uh, and, and I, I wish I could just return it. My, my humanity wanted to give it back. But I knew that God was going to bless these people. Amen. And, 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 and that if I tried to give it back or refuse it or reject it, that I would steal the blessing. You need to understand this principle right now, that I would, I would lose out on the blessing that God was going to pour into their life. I remember people giving tithe checks that were 15 and $20 a week because all they made was $150, $200 a week and trying to sustain a family. In my mind, I'm like, man, they need that a whole lot worse than life church needs that. But the principle is not that. The principle is God wanted to bring blessing and favor into their life. And I've seen that same person write checks, uh, tied checks for a thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars a month. That means ten thousand, fifteen thousand a month coming into their account. You know why? Because they were faithful. And I watched mothers raise their kids and be faithful to the things of God. And God blesses them. Amen. It's a divine principle. It's an act of faith. And it absolutely works. Today, these same people are blessed in so many ways. Yeah, that doesn't mean they didn't have struggles. Don't think that once you start tithing, you won't have any struggles anymore. Once you start tithing and and giving and offerings, that you won't have any challenges. But the blessing is that there's great spiritual growth. Blessings on the children and blessing in their finances. And I watched God work things out for her over and over and over again. So here's the principle. Tithing is God's financial plan. This was introduced before the law with Abraham and Jacob during the dispensation from Moses to Jesus and today. Leviticus 27 and 30. This is the uh, New Living Translation. Leviticus 27 and 30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. If If you want to use what's set apart to God... You must pay its value plus 20%. Verse 32, count off every tenth animal 
from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. You may not pick and choose between good and bad animals, and you may not substitute one for the other. But if you do exchange one animal for another, then both the original animal and its substitute will be considered holy and cannot be bought back. So here's the deal. Every year, every time there was a harvest, the first tenth of the harvest was set apart as holy to the Lord. And the tenth of every animal when they did this was set apart and holy to the Lord. And it was given to the Levites so that there would be meat in the house of God. Because here's the deal. You may think, well, that's great, but I don't have any fields. And I haven't been harvesting any grain lately and I don't have any animals Uh, So I guess this doesn't apply to me. What you must understand is this is talking to an agrarian society. And everybody was either a shepherd or a farmer among the children of Israel during the dispensation back in of the law. And so the idea was everything that God blesses you with. uh, See, they understood that all God had to do was stop the rain. And ain't nothing coming. So when the rain comes and the harvest comes forth, they say, thank God for the harvest. And since I recognize that it's all his, I will take as he's commanded the first tenth and I'll set it aside as holy. Holy means set apart. That means I recognize that this, because the Bible teaches this, is holy to the Lord and it's for God's purpose and God's going to use it for his purpose. So our increase today doesn't come through farming or shepherding necessarily. But today our increase may come as from our work as a lawyer or a teacher or a construction worker. But the teaching here, the principle, very clear. No shadiness. Always set apart one-tenth and return it to the Lord by bringing it to the storehouse, which is the church. This is the meaning of tithe. Everybody got that? Is that simple enough? Always set aside the first-tenth. Of the increase. I don't care what you're looking at me like. All right? I don't care what you think. This is what the Bible teaches. I'm trying to get you blessed here. So one of the clearest and most pervasive messages of the Bible is that by not using or spending the first tenth of all of our increase and returning it to God who gave us everything ensures his blessing. And on the opposite side, if I use that portion, the tent that is holy and set apart. Now understand, if you're an unbeliever and you're not spirit-filled, you're not a part of the church, this doesn't relate to you. This is for people that are in covenant with Jesus Christ. It says, using the holy and set-apart portion for my mortgage or for entertainment, or to go on a vacation, or anything other than bringing it to the storehouse ensures the opposite of blessing on your life. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you the truth here. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes? And offerings. This is the Lord speaking. Verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
They had gone through a time where they had stopped practicing tithing. Verse 10, he said, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. I want my house to be taken care of, God says. Bring it in and prove me now herewith. God says, test me. And, and if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. There won't be room enough to receive the blessing. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Anything that would try to eat up your crop, I'm going to rebuke it for your sakes. Some of you are tithers here and you're getting excited because you're recognizing the promises of God. And he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all, verse 12, all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So from this principle, uh, from this passage, four main principles. Number one, just from the Bible here, number one, not setting apart the first tenth and returning it to God is stealing from God and will bring a curse upon us. Principle number two, setting apart the whole tithe and returning it to him will bring blessings to us. So you see opposite things here, right? You see a curse and you see a blessing. Now, before you get crazy and or, or your mind goes crazy and you're thinking about like putting a curse, I'm going to put a hex on you. It's not talking like a black magic curse. Curse simply means supernatural power going to be working against you. Blessing means supernatural power is going to be working for you. And when you're in covenant with Christ, when you're in covenant with God, I really believe this. When you're in covenant, I believe this with all my heart. When you're in covenant with Him and you're not setting apart the first tenth as holy to the Lord, that supernatural power is going to be working against you. But when you do set it apart, that supernatural power is going to be working for you. That's what, ble- if you're freaked out by the word blessing and curse, then just use that right there. Supernatural power. That which cannot be explained by man is working on your behalf. So it's the difference between a blessing and a curse. Praise God. It's either going to work for us or against us. And the devourer will be rebuked. And the windows of heaven will be opened unto you. Praise God. Now I want you to understand this principle in the word of God. Because there are many people who live a frustrated life because they don't get this. Amen? And there's a number of reasons why. There's a lot of people who say, I can't afford to do this. Right? I can't afford to do this. But the reality is, if you, if you understand the principle, you would be like, I can't afford not to do this. Because as soon as I put this practice into my life, uh, the curse is removed from the rest of my finances, and God's blessing is upon the rest of my finances. And that doesn't mean I can go, I then can go do stupid things, buy flat screen TVs on credit cards, and just spend all my money riotous with the 90%. You can do whatever you want to, but you've got to be a wise steward, right? Uh, but the, it starts out with this principle from the Word of God, that if you want God's ble- if you want God to work for you, then practice this. Amen? And I'm, can I talk to the young people right now? Is that okay, Caleb? 
As young people, Life Church doesn't need your money. You ain't got much. I know you ain't got much. I was a teenager once too. But as a teenager, as a child, I learned the principle that the tithe belongs to the Lord. That means when I get a paycheck and my paycheck comes in and after Uncle Sam gets his part, I've got $222. And you're like, praise God. I hit the jackpot, right? $222. Before you spend any of that money, this is the principle, the scriptural principle here. That's your increase. God's blessed you. He, he gave you the power to do that. And everything you have is his anyway. And he says, I don't want it all. I want the first tenth, and then you can keep the rest, and I'm going to bless the rest. And so you take, so you take a, this is real simple now, you take and you divide by point. One oh, am I correct? Ninety percent. Or if you want to, just take a zero off the back, right? So two hundred and twenty dollars. What's the tithe on that? Well, take a zero off. Twenty-two dollars, right? So twenty-two dollars. You go get a tithe envelope. You take your twenty-two dollars. You stick it in the envelope, and you're not giving it to Life Church. You're giving it to God. I remember I told told my daughter one time I was getting ready to give an offering. I said we're giving this to the Lord. She's like, How do you do that, Dad? Brooklyn's like. You like, like jump up and like try to throw it up in the air. How do you give it to God? You bring it to the storehouse for God's purpose, for the kingdom purpose going forward. And when you give it, you are saying, God, I know that you're in charge of everything. That everything I have is a blessing from you. And I want your blessings on my life. I want your favor on my life. And it's more important to me than anything. Listen to me right now. And the remaining, how much is left now? How much is left? 198 bucks, right? 198 dollars. That's blessed of God. And God's working for you. That means you're gonna, when, when you buy it, it's gonna be blessed, right? When you, when you buy, unless you're buying stupid stuff, right? That doesn't mean you just go buy stupid things. That God's blessing is going to be upon it. This is a principle that's gotta start now. Cause otherwise you're gonna be 30 years old and struggling. Otherwise, you're going to be 40 years old, amen, and wondering, where does all my money go? Where's all my money at the end of the month? Uh, you've got to step into the favor and the blessing of God by understanding and obeying the principle here that says, when I return it to God, it brings blessing on my life. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, that is, setting apart the whole tithe, returning to Him brings blessing or curse. Verse three, or number three is if we do this, tithes and offerings, there will be plenty in God's house. That's what it says. There will be plenty in God's house. Plenty. In Second in Chronicles chapter 31, there was a king, King Hezekiah, who sent out a decree to the people. Hey, you haven't been paying your tithes. A lot of you haven't been paying your tithes. And so there's no food in the house for the Levites. They're struggling. And, and God's kingdom is suffering. So he reminded the people, bring in your tithes and offerings for the support of the priests and the Levites. Because the priests and the Levites, they had no farms of their own. They have no livestock of their own. They had no inheritance in the promised land. They had to depend on the tithes that was coming in. And the people responded abundantly, the Bible says, in Second Chronicles chapter 31. It says the heap, they, they, they piled up the tithes in heaps and the offerings in heaps. 
and, and, and the third month when the harvest came in, the heaps got big. It went down a little bit. Then the seventh month, the heaps got massive. So there's big, huge heaps of provision in God's house. And, and so finally then, uh, Hezekiah comes by the house of God and sees all these massive heaps of provision. And he's like, man, I wonder if the people, these offerings are generous. My goodness. I wonder if the people are okay. I mean, they've given so much. Are the people okay? And so he went to uh, uh, the, the, the head Levite there and said, what's with these massive heaps? And the Levite said, well, what's happening is the people are giving and God is blessing them. And then more's coming in, and then God's blessing them some more. And, and what's happening here is the heaps are so high because the people are giving, and the blessings are piling in on them. So when the people of God understand this principle, two things happen. Number one, God begins to bless them. And number two, God begins to take care of His church. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Someone told me lately, someone told me recently, he said, I would like to be personally responsible for raising the income of this church by 20%. And I'm like, wow. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I know why. Because <laughs> in order for that to happen, God's going to be blessing him in a magnificent way. Or God's going to be blessing her in a magnificent way. But here's the deal. You, you, you can sit back. I've heard people say this before. You know, I've been playing the lottery, Pastor. Say a prayer for me. Because if I win, I'm going to be thinking about the church first. In the meantime, they hadn't paid a tithe one in two years, right? So I'm like, you missed the point here. Because the activation principle is not receive and it will come back to you, but give is what pushes the button. Giving is what pushes the button of God's favor and blessing beginning to pour into your life. You believe that? Shout amen. amen. And the fourth principle there is that outsiders will recognize the blessings of this as well and call us blessed. They'll be like, why did you get that raise? Why did God bless you with that favor at the workplace? Come on. Why did that happen to you? Well, you can always respond. Well, I, I honor God with the first fruits of my increase and so... You know what? I'm working for God and God's working for me. God's working on my behalf. And covenant people understand this, that it's not mine anyway, but what's mine is his. And what's his is mine. Covenant people understand this. People that are in covenant don't get this. But here's what they understand. God owns it all. And all our increase is his blessing. It's God's blessing. Whatever I get is a blessing from God. See, if I think that I own it, then I will eat it all. If I recognize that it's His, and I'm a steward, I won't eat of what He has set apart. And, and get this right now. The ministry and the mission of the church is supported by the tithes and offerings of the people. The ministry and mission of the church is supported by the tithes of the people. And remember this. The church is the bride of Christ. It's his bride. He loves the church so much that he died for the church. Amen? Amen. So I want, I want to just uh, draw this picture right now, visual for you. 
of a very wealthy man. A man with a lot of resources who goes away on a trip for a long time. And while he's away on a trip, he leaves his wife behind. So he selects three men. He selects three men that he's going to test. And he says, I'm going to do something for you and I want you to do something for me. He says, I am going to give you at the beginning of each month $10,000 direct deposit into your account. 10000 bucks, And you can do whatever you want to with $9,000 of that. But the $1,000 I want you to take and hand deliver it to my wife to make sure that there's plenty of food in my house and she's taken care of. You're like, why don't he just direct deposit it to his wife? Maybe it's because it's not about necessarily just his wife, but it's about testing these men because he wants to know whether he can use them or not. Hmm. And so they're like, cool, all systems on go. So he's gone. Three months later, he calls his wife. Hey, honey, just wondering, uh, have you been receiving the contributions that I asked from what I've been giving these guys? And she said, well, um, the first guy has been faithful all three months. He brings over $1,000 to make sure that there's meat in our house. And uh, um, the, the, the second guy, I don't know why he's doing this, but the last three months, he's brought me $2,000 instead of $1,000. And then the third guy, well, the first month he brought over $800. The second month, he bought, he bought $300 over. And then the last month, I didn't see him at all. I haven't seen him yet. So what is, what is the husband going to do here? Because remember, he loves his wife. And he wants to make sure that there's meat in his house. The, fa- the, the, the husband's going to come back. And the guy that's been faithful, the guy that's been faithful, what's he going to do? He's going to keep sending him the $10,000, Right? And the $10,000, he's going to keep giving it back as he's been commanded to do. Now, the third person, the third person, he's going to take the money that he's been given to him away from him. Why? Because he's been stealing from him. Oh, yeah. Because he said you can use the 90 for whatever. But the 10%, you give it to, to, to uh, my wife so that the house may be taken care of. And then what about the other guy? He's going to take the $1,000 to $10,000 a month that he was given to this guy and give it to the guy that's given $2,000 a month. Because he knows he can trust the guy because the guy loves the same thing that I love. Amen. He has passion for the same thing that I have passion for. And so here's the deal. Tithing. The tenth, giving the tenth back to God, ensures the blessing of God. And when we begin to generously give to God's kingdom above the tithe, it unleashes the principle of multiplication into our life. Because God knows there's somebody I can trust. There's somebody who has my passion in their heart as well. Praise God. Hallelujah. So those who obey will be blessed. Those who go above and beyond will be blessed greater with multiplication. And those who don't do the minimum, he says, I'll take it away and give it to a good steward. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-nine, the parable of the stewards. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall hath abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath.
Praise God. The last thing I want to talk about is this principle of multiplication. When we tithe, the rest is blessed. But the principle that activates, and this is the part that I, that I, that I, want, that I want to share with you, the principle that activates multiplication in your life is the principle of giving. And this is going to blow your mind. It's going to make you mad. It's okay. It's truth. When you're tithing, you're not giving yet. You're returning what belongs to the Lord. And whatever I give above my tithe activates the principle of give. And it'll come back to you, good measure, pressed down. Multiplication, it's a sowing of a seed. So you take one seed and you sow it. And what does one seed turn into? Turns into a plant full of seeds. It multiplies. If I eat it, I ate it and it's gone. But if I plant the seed, the principle of multiplication begins to happen and favor and blessing. See, this is the deal. I want to see some people really blessed here. Right? I want to see you blessed in a powerful way. Not because it's all about money, but because he's a giver and I want to see you become a giver. He's a giver and I want to be a giver. Amen. I want to be a generous giver. I want to be a hilarious giver. I want to be a cheerful giver. Praise God. Somebody got to get the principle here. This is a faith thing. This is a faith thing. This is a faith thing. Amen. And this is not a you do it one time and then you get the, the benefit right away. This is a faith practice. This is a faith principle that brings blessing and favor into your life. Amen. This is not about just a few weeks. This is about a lifetime of favor and blessing coming into your life that you cannot even contain. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you believe that God can make your finances go further than we could? No matter how much, how clever we are with our money or diligent we are, God can make it go farther. Come on, somebody. God can make it go further. And we give the tithe as our first fruit so our finances are blessed. And what we give above our tithes, because that's, we're giving that because we want to. We're giving that because we feel prompted or led by God. Then it can be multiplied. At Life Church, here, the tithes. That comes in is to provide for the pastors, the staff, the retired former pastor, the ministry of the church and leadership initiatives of the church. And then on the tithe envelope, the part that's general offerings, general offerings takes care of the cost. That's when you get above the tithes, right? When you say, I'm going to help the church because I believe in this thing. I want to be a part of this thing. My time, talent, and treasure are in this. The offering covers the expenses of the church house. That means rent. If we have a mortgage, insurance, utilities, supplies, printing, janitorial, etc. Toilet paper. Yeah, toilet paper are paid by offerings. And now at Life Church, currently just the expenses of the house, not including the ministry costs, approaching $5,000 per month. And that's things that we can't negotiate. And then missions is another area where we give. And we give out from Life Church to missionaries approaching $1,000 per month via the 
the giving of the church uh, of tithes and offerings. Praise God. And so I'm believing. I'm going to talk about this. So if you don't like it, you probably want to find someplace else to go. Because we're going to talk about this. Because I want you blessed. I want you favored of God. I want His blessings to pour into your life. I want an avalanche of God's blessings to come into your life. And the final thing that I want to say is this. When we give, please don't fall in the trap of, I'm going to give so I can receive back. We're talking about motive here. Motive. What's the motive supposed to be? The motive's supposed to be, I'm giving because I believe in this. Because I believe in God. Because I believe his word. I believe his principles. I believe he's going to protect my house. I believe he's going to take care of me. And I tell you right now that you're going to be blessed in return. Come on. This is the truth and the principle. But we don't give to get. We don't give to get. But when we give... We receive. It comes back. It's a divine principle. It works, it works, it works, it works, it works. Give, and it shall come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give in to your bosom. Hallelujah. So next week, next week is the beginning of March, and we're going to put out a challenge. I'm going to put out a challenge. Because the Bible says in Malachi, he says, prove me with this. What's he saying? Give it a shot and see if it don't work. Right? And so what I'm going to challenge the people of God that are a part of this church to do, and many we have many people in this church that are they wouldn't touch the first tenth. You couldn't make them do it. You try to drag their hand. Don't let me. I don't want no curse on my life. I've got enough problems as it is. I want blessing on my life. They wouldn't touch that first tenth. But we're going to make a challenge that everybody from our teeny boppers to our mamas and papas that we make a commitment if you haven't been tithing or if you haven't made tithe a consistent part of your life now here's the deal if you're dropping 20 or 30 dollars a weekend and you ain't working part-time that ain't tithing right oh being honest here tithing's 10 percent so don't even call it a tithe because that's lying oops But I'm going to make a challenge and a commitment to begin to be faithful to God in your tithes. Make it at least 90 days. Say, okay, God, we'll try it. The Bible says prove me with, and we'll see if it doesn't work, see if it doesn't happen. See if God doesn't bless, see if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't open doors, if God doesn't make a way. If you can't see a marked difference of what happens when you get the curse off of your finances... And you put the blessing on your finances. God's saying, watch and see if you can't recognize the difference when you begin to practice what I've called you to do. And sometimes, you know, we get inconsistent. We fall off the wagon. We're real peeps, right? It happens, right? So it's time to, to, re, to, to reset and, and reestablish and get on the right path. Get on the right pathway so that blessing and favor can begin to flow into our life and, and into our family. And his blessings through obedience can be upon us. So we're going to make a challenge next week as we do our commitment Sunday. That we're going to give our time to the kingdom of God. Through, through reaching out to people, loving people, teaching Bible studies, being involved in a ministry, getting committed. I, I heard somebody told me recently that we can't get anybody to greet. We can't get people to even stand out in front and help us by welcoming people to the house of the Lord. I mean, seriously, how much of a commitment is that in the first place? Being honest with you. 
can't do that. It's going to take me 30 minutes on Sunday. I can't do that. It's his time. If the body of Christ needs help, get, change the attitude. It's an attitude thing. It's a mindset thing. It's a mentality thing that says, I'm ready to give. And I want to give cheerfully. Not so I can get something in return. Not because of what have you done for me lately, baby. It's because I believe in the principle that when I give, if I serve at the time when the time comes, people are going to serve me. If I bless when the time comes, people are going to bless me. Praise God. Let's stand together right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give, and it shall come back to you. Now, here's the deal. There's a precious lady of God named Sharon Dryden who is sick today. She's at her house. She's a member of our church. She's been a member for many, many years. Some of you have never met her because she is housebound. But she's a sweet person. She lives the principle of give and it shall come back to you. Not just money, but love, consideration, concern. And I love going by her house. Because even though she might be sick, even though she might be hurting, even though, you know, uh, things are rough, she's getting older. Every time I go there, I leave encouraged. Because I come to pray for her and she ends up praying for me. Come on, somebody. You know why? Because she is a giver. Financially, of her time, of her energy, if you need it, she, not close your ears, some of you. If you need it and she has it, she's going to make sure you got it. She is a giving person. But let me tell you, I've gone by and visited a lot of people. That are shut-ins and nobody comes by and see them. Sad, really. But I never go by Sister Sharon's house where there's not two or three or four other people there sitting with her, laughing and having a good time. What are all those people doing at an old lady's house? You know why? Because the principle is give and it'll come back to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together and running over. That's why 200 people there are getting ready to pray for a lady that's prayed for a lot of you. And I believe God's blessing and favor is going to go the direction of that little house up north of, up north of this church building right here. Because the principle works. If you give judgment, it's coming back to you. If you give condemnation, it's coming back to you. If you give criticism, it's coming back your direction. It works. It works. If you give love, it's coming back to you. If you give consideration, it's coming back to you. Amen. If you give mercy, it's coming back to you. If you give praise and worship, God's blessings are coming back to you. Something get a hold of our spirits and hearts that says, God, I want to be a cheerful Amen. giver. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands right now because we're going to pray right where we're sitting. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the people of God right now. Hallelujah, that this day the principles of the word would find a resting place in their heart and by faith they would respond. Because Jesus, I know that there are people here that are going to be blessed. I know there are people here that are renting right now and you want them to own a home. There's people that are making car payments, God, and you want them to be free from car payments. There's people that are here right now, Lord Jesus. 
that are in a lot of credit card debt. And God, you want to set them free and deliver them. And Jesus, we're preaching first things first. The first things first is to give God the first fruit. And I pray for the conviction of the Holy Ghost to move in this place uh, so that your people can move, Lord God, in the direction of your favor and in the direction of your blessing. I pray for our teenagers right now and our young people, Lord God. Let the teaching begin to get into their heart. Uh, Let it begin to get a hold of them, Lord Jesus, uh, so that there be plenty in your house uh, and so that they would be blessed uh, in the future, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, uh, that this church full of people who love you would be engaged in the harvest in a powerful in a magnificent and a tremendous way as we begin to sow seeds of faith, as we begin to be part of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I pray blessing upon them. I want you to reach over and pray for someone near you right now. Take them by the hand if it's appropriate. Lay your hand on the shoulder. We're going to turn this whole room right now into an altar. Hallelujah. We're not going to have to move out of our seats, but in this place right now, I pray, God, that people of God would make a commitment to You, Lord Jesus, that we're going to serve You and we're going to be generous people. We're going to be considerate people. We're going to be loving people. We're going to be giving people, Lord God. Giving mercy when people need mercy. Giving, Lord Jesus, when people are in need. Loving, Lord God, when people are in love. Lord Jesus, I pray, let something flow from our hearts. A, a generosity, a conviction to love and to serve and to give and to multiply. That's it. Lift up your hands right now. And let that praise and worship begin to come out of your lips. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I kill myself away so you can use me. Kill myself away. I kill myself away so you can use me. I kill myself away.
right now that the will of God is that this church be a giving church. Not just within, but without the walls of this church. I believe it's God's will that this church would help other churches get started. The only way that that can happen is the people of God are committed to giving. So that the provision to help other assemblies and other churches get started are there for the body of Christ. I'm just going to speak faith right now because I believe that Life Church is going to help churches all over the San Gabriel Valley and the Los Angeles area get started. We may not do it all by ourselves. We may join together with two or three other churches. But I'm going to tell you right now that it's the will of God that there be plenty in the house so that the kingdom of God could go forward, so that the work of God could be done. And it's God's people who are passionate about His purpose and about His will that help to make it happen. And I'm thankful, amen, to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. Hallelujah. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. Man, as we leave here today, uh, I, I want to encourage you. I, I know that uh, as we talk about the commitment Sunday, next Sunday, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. And uh, we're going to give you some options and opportunities to help you get started where, where you can do it consistently and not fall off the wagon. And uh, uh, But I want you to just pray this week and let God speak to you because this is a print. You don't have to pray about whether you should do it or not because it's in the Bible. You do it, right? But pray about God getting your heart prepared, getting your spirit prepared for what God wants to do. Amen. And believe that great things are going to happen. Now today when we leave, there are two important things that are happening in the foyer. First of all, for our guests, we'd love to meet you in the foyer before you leave. Secondly, uh, if you could pick up your seeds for sowing this week. Get five of those cards on the way out the door. Brother Donnie be out there serving. And thirdly, if you didn't get a chance yet to sign up for life groups, is there sign-ups out there? There's sign-ups out there uh, so you can see if there's space in the life group that you want to be a part of. The Lord bless you today, and we thank God for being with us in His power and His presence, and, and great things are in store. God's doing great things at Life Church. God bless you.